Father in heaven, you have been so good to us. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, we are amazed at your patience with us, your forbearance, your long-suffering. And we pray this morning that as we open the words of life, that you would speak to each and every heart. You know what we need. You know our struggles. You know our burdens. You know our place in life. And we pray that you would bless us this morning with your spirit. May you apply the truths specifically to our situations and to our own hearts. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We're continuing in our series entitled Lessons from the Life of Paul. And for today's study, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 9. We pick up right after Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Remember last Sabbath, we touched on Paul traveling to Damascus to persecute Christians, to take them back to Jerusalem, take them to trial, and ultimately to their death. And on the road to Damascus, he sees Jesus. He falls back. His eyes are blinded, and he recognizes that he has been on the wrong side. And for three days, the Bible tells us that he was not eating probably not sleeping very much, not drinking any water, and he was blind for three days. I wonder what was going through his mind during those three days as he sat in isolation in an undisclosed location, and suddenly God comes to Ananias, a Christian living in Damascus, and says, I want you to go see Saul of Tarsus, who would become Paul, and we pick it up here. He goes to see brother Saul. Paul In verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the point in Paul's ministry where his eyesight is restored. But the other part that I missed many times as I read the book of Acts was here Ananias laid hands on Saul, and the Bible says that in that moment he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a reoccurring theme in the book of Acts where you see that the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Bible paints this picture of this metaphor of the Holy Spirit being an agency that is poured out. And it gives the implication that we as human beings are like vessels. We're like cups, in a way, that have the potential to be filled with different spirits. In Acts chapter 5, the Bible says that Satan had filled the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. And I don't know about you, but I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Not an evil spirit. All of us have the potential to be filled with different spirits, and we can every day ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us. We don't want any vacancy in our own hearts because we are spiritual vessels with that potential to be filled with different spirits. Paul begins preaching the gospel 
And we pick it up in verse 25 and 26. I'll give you the opportunity to read the whole chapter on a Sabbath afternoon. Verse 25 and 26. Then his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. The reason why Paul had to flee was he was preaching the gospel. You can imagine this man that was a persecutor and was going to drag Christians off to be incarcerated had suddenly become a Christian and he was preaching the gospel, giving his testimony, and he became such a threat to the Jews that they were going to kill him. So he escaped through a basket or through the wall in a basket. And then in verse 26, the Bible says that he went to Jerusalem. Now, an important principle of Bible study is that you want to compare scripture with scripture because the book of Acts moves on to the next notable event. But I want to invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. An important principle is to compare Scripture with Scripture. And in Galatians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, Paul tells us that in the gap between verse 25 and 26 was not several days or several weeks. It was actually quite a bit of a period of time. Verse 17 and 18. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. Now, follow me here, because the Bible says that Paul was in Arabia for three years before he went to Jerusalem, according to Galatians chapter 1, 17 and 18. Now, that is a, quite a period of time. Now, I have it here on the screen for you. And uh, so this, this gives an indication of the gap between verse 25 and 26 of Acts chapter 9. You have Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, and if you fill in the blanks and read some of other Paul's writings, Galatians tells us that between Paul's conversion and him becoming a missionary to the Gentiles, introducing himself to the Jews in Jerusalem, there was a gap of three years where Paul spent time in isolation in the deserts of Arabia. Have you ever had a time in your life where you wondered, what in the world am I doing here? I mean, this, this was a leave of absence where his life was on hold. I wonder how many more books of the New Testament we would have if Paul had been not missing in action for those three years. But this was part of God's plan. How many more churches could we have from an efficiency standpoint? But God had Paul missing in action, in isolation, for three years. Three years is a long time. Have you ever had a time in your life where you're wondering, Lord, what am I doing here? This situation, it seems like my life is on hold. Now, I've noticed that it's very difficult to get a direct flight out of Alaska. Have you noticed that? You know, other than Seattle. And I prefer direct flights. I, I despise layovers. 
I remember I was flying to Africa, and it was a long flight over the ocean. Then we had a layover in Paris, that was overnight. And because we were so cheap, we decided to spend the night in the airport terminal. And it seems like they make those seats as uncomfortable as possible. I remember trying to spend the night in Paris, and I just wanted to get to my final destination. The thing about a layover is that you know that this is a temporary holding pattern. This is not your final destination. This is not the place that God ultimately wants to lead you. I wanted to go to Africa. I didn't want to hang out in Paris, and we were there for what seemed like an eternity in the security terminal with our little blankets, if you can call them that, just just trying to get some sleep. And we slept absolutely zero during that time in that layover. And sometimes following God means a detour. Sometimes following God. Means that God says, "I want to put the pause button on your life. I want to put you in a holding pattern on a layover." When I graduated from the seminary, I was eager to do ministry, and I was put in my first district in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yes, there is a place called Kalamazoo, by the way. And、uh, Quinton Purvis was my senior pastor. I was to be an associate there. Uh, to be trained as an intern the first year, and while I was there, Quinton said, "I want you to give worship to these elementary school kids, and I want to observe you." So I went into our little school that was attached to our church there and gave worship to our elementary school kids. And afterwards,、uh, Quinton says, "I want to have a conversation with you," and he said, "Do you realize, David, that those young people?" Did not understand a single word that you said. You can't use words like existential, <laughs> David. You you you've gotta you've gotta do something about this. And I had just come out of seminary studying Bultmann, Pannenberg, and Reinhold Niebuhr, and all of these theologians and so forth. And I was coming off the ivory tower, and and I could not relate to to individuals. And I said, "Praise the Lord that I'll never have to do youth ministry." Well, a year later, the brethren decided that they would place me in a congregation of a thousand people, a multi-pastoral staff, where you had the senior pastor, you had the associate pastor, you had a full-time counselor, and they said, "David, we want you to be the youth pastor," which meant specialization. And for three seemingly eternal years, it, it's it felt like a long time. I was in Berrien Springs doing youth ministry. I didn't even get to preach, but maybe two times a year to the main congregation. But every single Sabbath, I was giving the lesson to the youth. Now, don't get me wrong. I love youth ministry, but I'm just not cut from that particular cloth. You know, there are individuals that are gifted with youth ministry, and I praise the Lord for them. But I knew that this was not my final destination, and here I was in Berrien Springs doing youth ministry for three years. And I would call my mom and I say, "Mom, I just don't know what I'm doing here. 
Surely God has made a mistake. I mean, when's this going to be over? Month after month after month after month. Now looking back on that experience, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Because every single Sabbath, I had to take beautiful heavenly principles and make them simple and understandable to children. Every week I would give Bible studies to 10, 11, 9-year-olds and I would have to take biblical principles to understandable to a child and, and God told me, look, anyone can take something and make it more complicated. But you as a minister of the gospel, you need to take heavenly principles and make them understandable, comprehensible. And so during that time, by the way, I met my lovely wife as well during that time. The Lord knew what he was doing, you know, and, and I knew that this was not my final destination. I knew that this was not where God was going to lead me, but God put my life on hold and said, Dave, there's some things that you need to learn. And so for this time period, for three years, your life is going to be what you think is on hold. It's not going to be your final destination. You're going to be in a situation where you're thinking, what in the world is going on? I know that this is not where I'm supposed to be. This doesn't make any sense. But God is saying, look, I want you to stay in this pause, period. And that's where Paul was for three long years. He was in the deserts of Arabia, a brilliant man, a brilliant theologian, in isolation, because during that time, he had a lot of things that he had to unlearn and be re-educated by God. You know, sometimes you can have too much too soon. I've known individuals, colleagues of mine, that are no longer in ministry today because they had too much too soon. They did not have the roots down in order to do ministry and when they got to the limelight, it got to their heads. And they're no longer in ministry today. Here, Paul was about to become the greatest missionary to the Gentiles in history. And God said, I want you to be on leave for three years before that. Character takes time. I think of Moses. 40-year layover. That's a long layover. Forty years as a shepherd, this brilliant man, this, this general, this prince in Israel, 40 years tending sheep because that experience was going to prepare him to be a leader. I, th I think of David. David was anointed as king, and then God said, I want you to go back and be a shepherd. And for years, he was in obscurity, running from Saul. I think of Joseph, years a servant in Potiphar's house, and then later on in prison. I think of Jesus, 30 years as a carpenter, three years of ministry. God takes preparation seriously, and he is willing to take the time for it. Now, the thing about preparation is this. Character takes time. 
You know, we live in a microwave society where we like things instant, instant ramen, instant oatmeal. Well, character is more like a crock pot. It seems to take forever. And character is the great harvest of life. And God takes us. He accepts us just the way we are. He receives us just the way we are. But then God says, look, there's some things I want to work on in your life to make you happier, to make you a more loving and lovable Christian. And that character transformation sometimes is painful. Sometimes he takes us through situations and circumstances where you're wondering how long this is going to be and how long this will last. You're wondering, this doesn't make any sense in my life. But character is the great harvest of life, and the way that God transforms our character sometimes is by putting us through circumstances and situations where certain things are revealed in our character that God wants to bring to our attention. Have you ever been in a situation that brought out your character? They say that when a person is squeezed their character comes out. You want to know a person's character? Be with them in a very stressful situation. You will see character arise. When we see things come into our lives that, that reveal the evil in our nature, it is God calling us to attention to say, this is an area I want to work on in your life. And here is a tip. When God brings something around, whether it be a circumstance and a situation, that you know that God is trying to teach you something, sit up, pay attention, because if you don't learn at that time, it's going to keep coming around. I've learned that. And so there have been situations when I'm brought through something, a situation that makes me a little uncomfortable, that reveals something in my character that God wants to work on. I want to say, I say, Lord, whatever it is you're trying to teach me, Please help me to learn now so that this thing doesn't keep coming around. That's the way the Lord works. He's very merciful in our walk with him. And there are certain parts of our character that are blind to us that God is trying to bring out. And here it is. Saul of Tarsus hated Christians. He meets Jesus, becomes a Christian, and God says, I want you to go into obscurity for three years so that you can be re-educated in the things of God. And he came out on the other side as Paul the Apostle. One of the questions that people may ask is, this may apply to ministry, and I'm not a pastor, you may say. I'm I'm not Paul. Surely God doesn't lead us through similar circumstances and similar situations. Do you believe that God has a plan for your life? Do you believe that God has a vision for you? You have to. If you believe that God exists and God is love, you have to believe, I believe, that for every individual, God has a dream For your life. He has a map. For you. Specifically for you. A purpose for this life. And the life to come. A a blueprint. That was inspired in heaven. Just for you. He's dreamed about this. He's dreamed about you. And he's like David. I have these great 
things that I have in store for you, this vision for your life, purpose, meaning, destiny, all of these things. I have a, a vision for you that will blow your mind. This is the forefront of God's thinking when he looks at you. He says, I have a vision for your life. If you believe that, you have to believe that there is a preparation plan. And if you trust God with your life, get ready because God many times leads in a very unconventional path. A path that sometimes simply does not make sense. Full disclosure here, um, when I got the call to, I'm not sure if I should share this. When I got the call, among friends, when I got the call to, to come to Alaska, <laughs> um, it actually came t- two times. You know, this thing about it keeps coming around. The first time, Quentin called and I said, I'm just not ready. The second time he called, I said, I got to pray about this. Now, you need to understand, my understanding of Alaska was these little reality shows that I had seen on the History Channel. (laughs) Like polar bears and igloos. Uh, don't leave now. I'll, I'll wrap this up very nicely here. You know, and, and so when I got the call, I said, Lord, this, is, this was not on my bucket list. You know, th- this was not on my top ten calls of places to go. And w- when you look at the trajectory of where the Lord seemed to be leading in, in, in my quote-unquote what I thought was the blueprint and trajectory, Alaska was the farthest thing from my mind. All the indicators were leading another direction. And suddenly, at a certain point in my ministry, I'd just been at the church for about almost eight years, and we had just completed. And so I, I mentioned to my wife, I, I think it's time to go. You've got to leave when they still like you, by the way. You know, praise the Lord. Not when they wish you would leave. You've got to leave when it's... Leaving's good. And so I said, things are good. We just completed this major remodel in our church. Our church budget was in the surplus. And we just completed, you know, we, we had a multi, we had some staff that I had just placed in other places and, and wanted to ensure that their future was secure. And so it was a good time to leave. And I was like, all right, Lord, you know, those calls that I turned down prior that, that I thought uh, would be a good call to reoccur, th- those calls, please bring them back, Lord. Now's a good time. And then suddenly my phone rings and Quentin's like, Alaska. And I said, uh, I thought in my heart, I said, no, 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 no. And I got on Google Maps. And I said, Quentin, where is this place anyway? And I zoomed out. And I thought the upper peninsula of Michigan was north. I said, that's the North Pole. I said, I can see it. I said, I said, Lord, what, what in the world? I said, this, this doesn't make any sense. And so I prayed about it. I said, I'm not going up there unless it's very clear. So I prayed. I said, we're in Michigan. The housing market is terrible. I said, I'm going to make it very difficult. You need to sell the house this week, this week. If you sell it this week, I'll go. If not, I'll know it's not from you. The house sells. <laughs> that week, 
I mean, this is unbelievable. And so, my wife and I and our two golden retrievers, we didn't have Hudson yet. We drove on the Alcan with two golden retrievers and a few of our belongings. We shipped the rest of it in our Toyota Prius, came up here, and I want to tell you that this time period I look back on, don't worry, I'm not leaving, I'm not saying like that, but I'm just like, I'm just like, wow, the Lord knew exactly what he was doing because this is the best kept secret, amen? Praise the Lord. This is paradise, you know, on so many levels, but, but from a ministry standpoint, the Lord knew what he was doing. He always knows what he's doing. But sometimes we're like, this doesn't make any sense, but, but just be faithful and follow him wherever he may lead. You know, wherever he may lead, even if it doesn't make sense from a human standpoint, you need to trust God with your life and go because that's the happiest place you will be. And I'm happier than I've ever been, been before. And our son was born here. He's got, for the rest of his life, he'll have an Alaskan birth certificate. Oh, praise the Lord. I mean, this, this has been tremendous personal growth and, and, and formation, character development. The Lord knew exactly what he was doing. And the Lord needed to bring me out of certain circumstances so that I could reevaluate my life. Where is God leading you in your life? Do you feel like your life is on hold? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you're like, Lord, I know this is not my final destination. I mean, what am I doing here? Trust God with your life. You know, faith, according to Hebrews 11, the first aspect of faith is believing that God is. Some translations say believing that God exists. Do you believe that God exists? You know, sometimes we come to church and we say, oh, God exists. And then when it comes to our finances, we act like atheists. You know what I'm talking about? We, we come to our planning and our life, we act like atheists. We act like individuals that, or deists at best, that God doesn't exist, that God is up there, but he's not interested in my affairs and my life. Well, God has a plan for your life. And if you surrender your life to him, his vision for your life will be fulfilled. But get ready for the layovers, Amen. Get ready for those situations in your life where God will take you through something and you say, Lord, I simply don't understand where God may be leading, but I choose to trust you anyway because I believe that God exists. And even more than that, I believe that God is love and that his plan for my life is what will bring me the greatest happiness and joy. I want to share this poem from Cory Temboom. Cory went through Ravensbrück, the concentration camp. She lost her sister during that time. She was hiding away Jews. If you have not read the book Hiding Place, I highly encourage it. This is a poem that came out of her experience, and she uses the metaphor of uh, a loom and uh, an artist weaving a loom, and uh, this, this loom represents the instrument that God uses to, to, to um, put together our lives. And I want to read this poem as we, as we close this morning. This is from Corey Temboom. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. 
I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. And I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and, and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Amen. That's my prayer. Let's trust God with our lives. I think of the book Education that says when we get to heaven and we look back on our lives and we see the way that God has worked and his masterpiece, we'll say, Lord, even through the trials, I would not have been led any other way. Let us pray. Father in heaven, what a lesson it is from Paul's life. Three years where his life was on hold. Three years where it seemed like his life was on detour, but it was all part of the master plan. And Lord, I don't know where each individual is in this room, but you do. And Father, first and foremost, we want to dedicate our lives to you. And I just want to make a simple appeal this morning. If, if you have not fully dedicated your life to the Lord Jesus and you want to do so, so this morning, I want to invite you to raise your hand this morning and say, Lord, I just want to dedicate my life to you today, to the master artist. You see these hands, Father. Father, in the same breath, we want to say to those that have dedicated our lives to you, you want to say to us, Lord, I, we want to say to you, Lord, take our lives. We want to trust you with our life, believing that when we get to heaven, we would not have been led any other way. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercies. Thank you that you're a God that has a vision for our lives. Help us in those times that we can't understand. Help us to believe and trust, for we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.